Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to Wish You Were Weird. A show where we talk about everything you've always wanted to know more about. Including, but not limited to, drag. Dating. Politics. Secretary of State Tamisha Iman. Figuring out if Bailey Hanks was at the Capitol riot. Telling a stoner your caffeine chocolate is an edible, hoping that maybe they'll finally get a fucking job. Coping with the fact that you're a community theater Paulette, a regional theater Courtney Take Your Break, and a Broadway audience member. Uh-oh. What to do when mom thinks your cocaine box is a Christmas tree ornament. How oh, I became Carol Baskin's unpaid intern. I'm spayed and neutered, but damn if I'm not horny anyway. Vincent. I'm the girl who was accepted by Rosie O'Donnell and rejected by Nathan Lane. Sarah, everything I said was a fact. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm sorry, kidding. community theater Paulette, regional Courtney, Broadway <laughs> audience member is hilarious. That's like trauma from bullying I received in my college theater program. Mm-hmm. You don't have to worry about it though, because I'm a community theater fucking ensemble member regional and in the audience and in broadway i got kicked out for sucking dick in the bathroom so uh, don't worry There's which show thing. spongebob yeah yeah definitely spongebob <laughs> there's no better show to suck dick in the bathroom except spongebob that'd be just like the funniest headline it's like spongebob the musical like shia labeouf got kicked out of cabaret like that just feels dirty already but like spongebob that feels immoral <laughs> although every time i went to see spongebob i was on drugs so well that honestly what am i saying that show was filthy and sinful <laughs> <laughs> it was that show like i i miss it honestly that show was so good that was like the most underrated show i've seen on broadway it'll come back it won't the <laughs> not <laughs> The non-equity tour will just float in purgatory, and uh, <laughs> that's what'll um, happen with that. So, me and Electrifier are currently working on something. Oh, really? What mm-hmm. is it? We are going to record ourselves doing "I'm a Believer" by Smash Mouth as ogres. Wow! As sexy green ogres, and it's happening this weekend, and then it's premiering on the 30th with that that in that show with Dazzaville. I love that. That's that sounds like something I would click on Pornhub. So I'm really happy that that's happening in real life. There's a surprising amount of Shrek porn on Pornhub. Really? I mean, it's not that surprising, but it's like a lot. Oh, wow. My, I guess I have not seen the, you know, limits to which Pornhub goes to. And that's I, a lie. I that, regret that. That's a lie. You have seen every inch of Pornhub because you send me specific <laughs> screenshots. Like, conversation-appropriate porn screenshots. I think it's just the funniest shit ever. I just sometimes, I I think people aren't approaching Pornhub with the right mindset. It's a hub of just literature and comedic inspiration, you know? You can find many things on there that'll just inspire you to be a better artist, is all I'll say. I love that. Yep. Lemon-stealing whores kept me from killing myself in middle school. <laughs> Wait, is that real? Lemon-stealing whores? Of oh, course. You've never seen lemon-stealing whores. I don't, I don't want to see it, so do not send it to me. I'm sending it to you. It, the part that everyone watches isn't even, like, the porn part. It's, like, the beginning. It's on YouTube. There's no way that my eyelids will open 
to that. <laughs> wow, I want everyone listening to this to DM Sarah a link to Lemon Stealing Whores. And you know what's funny? There's an option on on Instagram where you can block people. <laughs> Maybe I'll like take that into effect. Today, me and Sarah will be doing Two Truths and a Lie Broadway Facts Edition. Take it away, Sarah. Okay, here are my facts. The Mean Girls musical has undergone a facelift. 66% of Broadway audiences are over the age of 75. Aladdin's flying carpet remains a mystery. These, um, these are a little abstract, a little non-specific. <laughs> I guess, I guess you can't really give a facelift to a musical, so that one's false. You're wrong. What do you mean? What do you mean I'm wrong? That's just an expression they use. They, like, oh. change the show. Oh it's, oh, it's an industry term, is it? Yeah. Oh, no, no, it's just like you say you give something a facelift. You, like, change it. You give it oh, a revamp. I didn't know, I didn't know figurative rhetoric were fucking facts, Sarah. Well, this was That's just, that's something people say. You're living in, I don't know, fucking Brigadoon, if you don't know <laughs> what that is. All right, so what do you think? Which one do you think is alive? I mean, a lot Should I just tell you? Yeah, you should just tell me at this point. Okay, 66 of Broadway audiences are not over the age of 75, but they are women. 66% of Broadway audiences are women. Oh, that's awesome. Good for that. <laughs> because I'm women happy. have minds and souls, but uh, Aladdin's flying carpet does remain a mystery. The set designer will not say how it works. Oh, that's badass. Okay, my turn. So fact number one, the first Broadway theater that ever opened had a public pool. Fact number two, Cheetos were actually named after Cheetah Rivera. And fact number three, Jordan Roth drinks the blood of innocence to stay looking so fresh and youthful. I don't know if that was a like the words <laughs> you meant to say innocence, and that's the trick because you spelled it with a T, like in a sense. Yeah, the blood of it, yeah, that one's false. The blood of innocent people. Is that not false? So then Cheetos were named after Cheetah Rivera? I don't fucking know. She was really popular. <laughs> They're all fake. I could not find any Broadway facts that weren't like literally like, Lion King is the second most grossing film or whatever the fuck. You have to go to the deep depths of Tumblr and the Broadway World chat rooms to find- Is that find... where you found out that the Mean Girls musical had a facelift? Is that where you got that gem? Uh, <laughs> no, I found that on Google. <laughs> so we want to take a minute to talk about an amazing cause. There is a woman named Rataj. She is a trans woman who was arrested in Yemen while being out in public appearing as a man for safety. But she was arrested for her eyebrows appearing too feminine in shape. She's been obtained by authorities and they are holding her passport from her while she's waiting for her visa to move to the U.S. She needs some remaining funds so that she can get to the U.S. and have an easier transition here and feel safe. Yemen has a huge humanitarian crisis. They have no water, food. They're horrible to the LGBTQ plus community. And this is something that's important. She has a GoFundMe. You can find her GoFundMe. It says, help this trans woman escape Yemen. And if you just look that up, you will find her. Her name's Rataj. And, you know, we, we talk about this all the time, but, you know, donating to these smaller 
organizations or specific people on GoFundMe goes a lot farther than a huge organization that already has a lot of money. So consider donating to a smaller cause. Also, a business I recently visited, I honestly don't go anywhere except for the grocery stores. And I went to Trader Joe's and outside of Trader Joe's in the tower shops in Davie, Florida. So if you happen to be in the South Florida area, I highly recommend this. There is a food truck that sells donuts. And these donuts are delicious. I'm pretty sure this is a small business. They're called Change Donuts. You can find them at changedonuts.com. I think they park around just South Florida, like Miami and Plantation, different like hubs, but it looked appetizing from afar. It looked like the Krispy Kreme like sign with the donuts and it was just so appealing and I went there and you can like make any kind you want and they're like these cute little donuts in a box. Highly recommend. It was delicious. We are joined by an incredibly talented guest. She is an actress, recording artist, songwriter, director, producer, and quote-unquote natural birth giver. At the age of nine years old, she had her stage debut at Radio City Music Hall. Since then, she's originated the stage roles of Tina in Ruthless, Outer Critics Drama Desk nominations, Amber in Broadway's Hairspray, Elle Woods in Legally Blonde the Musical, for which she received a Tony nomination, and has played Glinda in Wicked. She's appeared in over 100 episodes of television and several films, including including Dreamgirls and Jumanji. In addition to being an iconic Broadway star, she also produces and writes music and comedy. This includes YouTube hits like You Can't Pray the Gay Away and Cooter County and Schizophrenic. She is the creator, composer, and lyricist for Netflix's Mashville. She's currently developing Girl Time, a women's history sketch comedy show for Freeform as a creator, writer, and executive producer. Please welcome Laura Bell Bundy! Hello. Thank you so much for joining us for our pandemic Zoom chat. We are yeah. honored to have Anytime. you here. Anytime. So we were talking about this before, but you are currently in Palm Springs, right? Yes. What is that like? What is the difference between like LA and Palm Springs? It's drier here. I feel like my lips are cracked and uh, my boogers are bloody. <laughs> That's oh, how you no. know you're in the desert. Well, and it, and also I will say it's beautiful. There's mountains and I'm temporarily living between one house we sold and one house we are buying. Uh, one was a beach at the beach in Ventura County and the other one is a farm in New Jersey. And the desert, it's really nice this time of year. It's beautiful. Um, but it couldn't be more different than either one of those ways. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's uh, nice. I like it. We want to take this all the way back and we want to know where were you born and what was your childhood like? Well, I was born in Euclid, Ohio. I didn't live there very long. My parents met in Lexington, Kentucky, and my dad got a job in in the Cleveland area. So they moved there. And then about a year and a half later, my father decided to start his own company, moved back to Lexington, Kentucky. And so I only really have memories of Kentucky in my childhood until I turned five, six years old, and I began to spend the summers in New York City. I won a pageant when I was five, and I won a new car. And then we I had this opportunity to go on the Phil Donahue show in New York City now. I think you guys are too young to have ever known about the Phil Donahue show, but it was <laughs> one of those panel shows where they talked about issues, and the audience got to chime in and stand up and ask questions. And, you know, back in the day, it was that, Sally, Jesse, Raphael, and Ricky Lake, and all this. And so Oprah started that way, actually. And it turned into be an expose about children's pageants 
instead of what we thought was going to be like this amazing opportunity to go to New York City. (laughs) I remember being in backstage and I had my big poofy pageant dress on and like hair full of rollers and my mom, a face full of makeup. I mean, I look like a drag queen at five and there were these other pageant girls there and there, they were spraying glitter in their hair. Now I want you to know I had a full face of makeup on, a completely rhinestone covered dress. And my mom said, we do not use glitter. We're classy. (laughs) Oh my God. No glitter hairspray because we were classy. So it ended up being this kind of horrible experience. First time I experienced shame. And my mom was like, we are going to shine this turd. And so (laughs) he pulled me um, and dragged me all the way to Ford Modeling Agency. And she walked in and said, I'm here to meet with the children's division. <laughs> and you're like, ma'am, you need an appointment. And she's like, well, you know, my daughter is li- little Miss Peewee Hemisphere. And if you're going to meet her, you're going to need to meet her now. They let my crazy mom and I upstairs and they signed me to a five-year contract. Whoa. Yeah. That's how I got started <laughs> in business. It was from that crazy freaking story of winning a new fucking pageant at five. And so I began, because I lived in Kentucky and my parents had a business there and I was going to school there, I couldn't spend the whole year in New York. So there was something called summer kids. And I was a summer kid who would live in New York City in the, just the summer and model, go on, go on ghost and things. So when I was six, I started going to New York City in the summer. And I stayed at various different apartments in New York City in different areas of and locations of New York City. I saw my first hooker at eight. I discovered Gray's papaya during a, you know, right before a dust storm walking. Who does it? You know, just d- dust in my eye <laughs> and a Gray's papaya. And I had a terrible headache and I, I vomited it. So for years, I couldn't go gra- past Gray's oh. papaya without gagging. But I feel like that's most people ex- people's experience with Gray's papaya, though. You're never right. there when things are going good. <laughs> and the pina colada drink, you know, pina oh colada drink, <laughs> salty hot dog. And so there was just, you know, the first year we lived with this uh, Russian lady named Tatiana, who my mom had convinced to let us stay there at her apartment. And Tatiana agreed to the lower rent we were going to pay because we couldn't afford it. She could occasionally come back and stay in the apartment through the summer. So we would find her in the closet. Uh, Some mornings we would wake up and she'd be in the hall closet sleeping on a mat on the floor. (laughs) I got a good story for you. One day, and I didn't find this out until I was older because I didn't know what this was. But one day, my mom, when she first moved there, she was hearing things uh, drop from the bed. And she looked down and she saw a condom wrapper. And she didn't know what that was. So she lifted up the bo- between the mattress and the box springs. And there were just tons of condom wrappers. Now, I don't mean use condoms, condom wrappers. Oh. But that was there. So I, we had just the wildest experiences. And then I, you know, just imagine like a five to eight-year-old child <laughs> walking around New York City thinking that it's like Disneyland. <laughs> but surrounded by homeless people yelling at you and pimps, rats running across your feet. It was the, it's just like walking through with a big smile on my face as this like little, like corn fed girl from Kentucky passing 
triple X theaters in Times Square. <laughs> that is what it was like, but I thought it was amazing. <laughs> okay. And I was like, what does that beautiful lady do? My mom said, well, she's doing things you shouldn't do until you're married for money. And I said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Yes. <laughs> that was incredible. Laura Bell Bundy's Parasite. Honestly, that's what your story reminds me of. The movie Parasite. Oh, yes. Like- <laughs> kind of. Um, but not quite. But I, but it, it was an interesting life, right? So that's, that's kind of, yeah, I spent half my life between being in Kentucky and being in New York. And the New York portion was just sort of my culture, my culture shock, but also I wasn't so shocked by it. I kind of loved it. And I, I kind of carried with me these sort of like hometown Southern girl life. And then this wild and exciting and fully exposed life in New York. So how did the arts and theater come into your life and acting? So when, so that's part of that story. I guess when I was about two and a half, three years old, my mom put me in um, dance class. And I think around four or five years old, I began to get singing lessons. According to my dance teacher, I would sing along to the songs they were playing in the dance class, like really loud, like, (laughs) you know, flourish, people are trying to learn the dance. And so she told my mom and encouraged that I sing. And then when I was about five or six, this dance teacher taught me a song and dance routine. And I started competing and doing talent competitions. And then I also was in the Lexington Ballet School. And they did the Nutcracker every year. So I did that. And then I did a production of Annie. I was not Annie. Um, I wasn't even an orphan. I got cast as a girl. All I remember was being in a potato sack. (laughs) Not being Adult ensemble. (laughs) Yeah. But again, what was happening is when I was five and I went to New York and I got that modeling contract with Ford Modeling Agency... When I went uh, to New York in the summers, my mom would have me in singing lessons uh, in New York. I was going to Broadway Dance Center, and I saw my very first Broadway show that same night I got the modeling contract, which was Starlight Express. So that was a big night for day for me, right? It began my career, so to speak, and it began my love of Broadway. I think that gave me and my mom that bug. Uh, I didn't really enjoy modeling because it was like standing still and smiling, and that was super boring to me. I was definitely like more of a spaz and really, you know, kind of had a lot of energy and like to use my imagination. So theater was perfect for me. I got most of my training when I went to New York in the summers. And then when I came back to Kentucky, I would still stay at my dance school, town and village school of dance. It was in Paris, Kentucky, which is in Bourbon County, which is a dry county, ironically. <laughs> oh my gosh. And, uh, and I had a great time and I was in troupe and I did all the things there. And I had, uh, and I did theater there. And then one year when I was nine, 
I was in New York City for the summer and I auditioned for the Christmas Spectacular at Radio City Music Hall. And that was my very first show. So I ended up getting that job. So how did Hairspray come about after that? So I lived in New York City full time from the time I was nine to 14. I did uh, the Christmas Spectacular. The guy that was developing that show, I'm sorry, the guy that was the musical director for the Christmas Spectacular was developing a new show called Ruthless. And I ended up staying in New York City to develop that musical. And, and I ended up opening that a few years later or a year or two later off Broadway. So I stayed in New York till I was 14. And then I moved back to Kentucky and just had a normal high school education. You got a um, drama desk nomination for Ruthless, right? Yes. What people don't know is that that is honestly like better than the Tonys because that the Drama Desk Awards include all off-Broadway and Broadway shows. And it's like way harder to get nominated for that. So you were, you weren't even 14. You got a Drama Desk nom and you just head back. (laughs) I was 11. And oh my God. I I was 11 and my mom was freaking out. Like, I'm like, what's that? (laughs) <laughs> you know, I was like, it's not a Tony. I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't know what it was. I didn't know to be excited. I didn't know that you do, you know, that people even tried to get awards. I just, you know, did the show and um, I didn't understand it till I got older. And especially you know, for doing an off-Broadway show since a lot of the Broadway shows take the spots. Yeah, so that that kind of sucked uh, in that I didn't understand it, but it's cool. It, I guess that's a cool <laughs> thing, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I end up moving back, having a somewhat of a normal life. I say somewhat because I don't really think that you can forget all that you've been exposed to when you're 14 and you go back to, you go into school with a group of smaller-minded people Right. Because, and simply because they haven't seen the world. Mm-hmm. And I had, and I couldn't quite forget that right. I hadn't yeah. seen these things of the world um, or had my singing teacher die from AIDS or any number of the things mm-hmm. that I experienced. So I tried to acclimate the best I could. I ran track. I did my school play. I really loved track and cross country. And I ended up after high school applying to go to NYU and being accepted to run on, on the track team there. Really? And, Yeah. And then I auditioned for a soap opera the summer right before I began college. And I got a a recurring role on Guiding Light. That sort of was like, oh, do I really want to do this? So I began, oh, two things. You asked about hairspray. So when I was 17, I think one summer I was in New York and I auditioned for the movie camp. I went to the actual camp that it takes oh, place. Oh, stage at. door. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Don't get me started on stage door. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Natalie Portman went to that camp. Oh yeah. There's yeah. like so many, there's so many people who went there. Like um, it's, it's a weird, weird place. I talk about it all the time. They like all these like celebrities and like celebrities kids went there and it's like kind of a shithole but it's a really it's a great experience but it's definitely like there's no air conditioning and like no mics you have to like scream on stage <laughs> you have like Kurt Cobain's daughter there who's just like I don't know it's just like it's just funny how they like that exists that place it's crazy so the guy Todd Graff wrote it I guess about his own experience there and just exaggerated a bit. Um, 
And right. they were going to do, they were just doing a developmental workshop at the time. Danny DeVito was producing the film and they just wanted to workshop it. And I got cast as like the bitchy character. Uh, I think and Anna Camp was also in it. Leslie Odom Jr. was in it with us. Oh my gosh. This was the <laughs> workshop for Camp. So here's the deal. Bernie Telsey was casting this and he had done Rent and he had done some things. It was my friend, John McMahon, who had played piano at Ruthless. He was playing auditions for Bernie Telsey. And when this came up, he said, you know who would be perfect for this bitch character? <laughs> Laura Bell Bundy. And Laura Bell Bundy, that sounds familiar. And this is what Bernie Telsey said. And John said, oh no, she was that little girl in Ruthless. And he was like, oh my God, let's have her in. So I ended up auditioning for camp. I get that part. Now I was 17. When I was 19, the Hairspray musical is being put together and they're doing their very first reading and they need mm. a bitch. So who do they call? The girl who was a bitch in camp. So Bernie Telsey called me in. I sang for the producers, the creative team, and read the lines. And funny enough, one of those summers I was in New York when I was, I think, eight, I watched the Hairspray movie that Ricky Lake was in every day at lunch. I loved that movie so much. I was obsessed with it. And I loved the character of Amber Von Tussle. So I told them that. I think they were surprised that I was watching John Waters as a child. Um, <laughs> were we all? <laughs> and, and so I ended up getting the part. So I was 19. We only had one act when we did the reading. One act and the song, I Know Where I've Been. Uh, Marissa was cast. Linda Hart, who played Velma, my mom. Um, Harvey was cast. Uh, Dick Latessa was cast. And uh, Jen Gambatis, and I think Katie Leonard. And then, uh, the, but, but a lot of people were different at that point. And then we started to include more cast members on the next readings that we did. So we did, there were a total of four readings. I only did three because I was doing Guiding Light. And I couldn't get out for one of them. Then we got the go. We were going to go to Broadway. Awesome. I can't believe you would have been in the movie camp. Like, I, I think that's so funny because I would have loved to have seen, like, Anna Kendrick is the... Like, Anna Kendrick! Not yeah. Anna Camp. Oh, my God. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> Anna Kendrick. Oh, my God. I'm pitch perfecting. Although, I, I could see both of them in that movie, honestly. Oh, my God. Is Anna, that... <laughs> camp, Anna Camp I did Perfect Harmony with. What a terrible mistake. Oh, my gosh. Well, I feel like I could have seen her in the workshop for it, though, which is honestly makes total sense but like she rips her off the stage during ladies who lunch i would have killed to have seen you and anna kendrick in that scene i cannot believe that we i'm, I'm sad we missed out on that but i'm still happy we got hairspray so that's that's totally fine <laughs> yeah so we were it's funny because there were a few of us that had done hairspray that were in camp and we were doing Hairspray at the time when it was filming. Uh, so you were, you all like, that was the talk, the hot goss. We just knew it was happening. Like, uh, uh, I think it, it was non-union, so we couldn't have done it. I couldn't have done it anyway. So then, okay, you did a little show that nobody knows about called Legally Blonde, <laughs> <laughs> where you were Elle Woods and uh, bringing up stage door. Like, can I just say, you as Elle Woods, you were like, 
your shrine at stage door for theater kids there like everybody always like would make jokes about like you know so much better when the cast list would come out and like <laughs> you're revered at theater camp can I just say so oh that's hilarious it, I don't know if you know how much like Elle Woods is such an icon I mean I'm sure you do but in <laughs> amongst theater kids oh. <laughs> but um I want to know how how did that audition process go like and how did that come about so I had done Hairspray uh, with Jerry Mitchell, who is the choreographer of Hairspray. And at the time, I was doing Wicked. I was Kristen Shinna with Standby. And I had like two weeks where I was going to go on. And I sent out notes to people saying, hey, I'm going to be going on if anybody wants to come and see the show. So Jerry Mitchell said, I want to come and see the show. I was kind of surprised by this, you know. All right. All right. Awesome. Cool. And then, you know, a bunch of other friends, but you know, not often you get someone like Jerry Mitchell wants to come and see you do a show, but he came backstage. It was lovely. And then I guess six months later or something, there was this announcement that Legally Blonde was going to be made into a musical and Jerry Mitchell was directing it. And I sent him a note because my experience of working with Jerry Mitchell in Hairspray was that he was he worked so closely with Jack O'Brien, the director, they almost worked as one unit. And I knew he was going to be a great director. I mean, he deserved to, to be a director. And I sent him a note and I congratulated him and said he really deserved it. And then I added, I know someone who would be really great for Elle Woods, wink, wink. <laughs> and he wrote me back and he was like, honey, why do you think I came, why do you think I came to see you in Wicked? I wanted to see if you could carry a show. Then he said, when the time is right, I'll have you in front of the creative team. So, I mean, another year goes by. I don't really think about it. And I was living in LA at the time. I decided to move there and uh, do TV audition for things. I also had a boyfriend that lives in Southern California, you know? <laughs> <laughs> These are the things. I was just making it easy for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and I I went to Connecticut to do some plays and I happened to be there when I got this call that they were having an audition for the very first official reading of Legally Blonde. I was sent three songs to prepare, 12 pages of lines on a Friday. And my audition was 12 p.m. on a Monday. And I had shows that weekend. I had four shows. So I was like trying to cram this material in, in between shows. I took a train from Connecticut to New York City, which felt like an eternity. I stayed with <laughs> my friend who had a baby and I couldn't sing the songs at night. So I went to the West Side Highway and I sang them literally by myself at midnight on the streets. <laughs> by the for former World Trade Center. I mean, I mean, it was just, it was crazy. And then I walked back and woke up the next day and went and auditioned for this thing. And, and so I was offered the role for the first reading. Now, what happens is when you do a, a reading, which is not an audition, guys. Well, I was auditioning for a reading. Right. A reading is uh, like a 29-hour reading is where you cast a group of people to play these characters. Uh, we learn the scenes. We go over the scenes, but we're still on book. And we learn the songs and we go over the songs, we learn the harmony parts, and we essentially present at the end of 25 hours, 26 hours. And we present it to either the creative team, creative team and investors, and various theater owners and things like that to kind of get the, the show up. So I did this and- You booked I, it eventually. <laughs> well, so yeah, so I did a few of these. I did mm. two of these, and then we did official workshop where we actually staged the show. 
every step of the way, it was essentially an audition for me. Right. Because if I, if I really shit the bed, they weren't going <laughs> to, or if I was difficult to work with, they weren't going to keep me. But I think you do sort of realize what your value is as an actor and you lean into that. And that's what I did. And I, I kind of knew this was my part. <laughs> I felt very connected to Elle. I felt very connected to her story and her journey and who she was as a person and a spirit. It just felt very natural for me. And I wasn't that afraid. I just kind of felt like it was going to happen. You know, <laughs> you have those feelings in life. Right. That was one of those feelings. I mean, you just like how you play Elle, you're like not basic at all, which is, I feel like how somebody could approach that role, you know, like, or how they could cast that role. And you're just, you are like so funny and relatable and like human as the role. And Elle is such a hard role, especially like you're following Reese Witherspoon, who is also iconic in that role. So, and you were in it in the beginning. So I just think that is so cool. Was there anything about Elle that like wasn't written in the script that you just improvised that became like a part of the show? Oh, a lot. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I drank Red Bull. (laughs) And I used to come to rehearsal, like finishing my morning Red Bull. And when we were going over Chip and My Shoulder, there was a lot of stuff between Emmett and Elle that really wasn't written in the script initially. Like we really, really had to work to make that relationship make sense, make their love story make sense. At what point are these two friends that now feel like they might be more than friends? And we need to build that and know, you know, where those specific spots are. I remember saying like, you guys, like if people are studying, clearly we're showing the passage of time. They're getting to know each other because they spent night after night after night studying. So they should have a shorthand. They should be like having caffeinated beverages. They should be finishing each other's sentences. They should be just a casual quality to the way that they hang out and respond to each other. She should feel completely comfortable with him, which is very different than she feels with Warner. She should feel like she could be in sweats around him and it doesn't even matter. And that's what we, because that's what we wanted her to feel like with Emmett, right? right? So we we were trying to build all that. Christian and I would talk about it a lot and try to come up with things. And so then they added the Red Bull part and he totally made up that line. I am loving it. And then there was stuff at the end of Whipped Into Shape about getting Brooke's alibi. And that scene at the time didn't feel like it was working and didn't feel like it was transitioning enough into the, I'm going to take you to shop now. You've given me advice for months and now I'm going to give it to you. And also we kind of wanted to show that the relationship that Emin and Elle have is a relationship that can get into a fight and then can recover with laughter. So we were in San Francisco trying to show out. We still had this old scene that we were doing or we were, rehearse- we were doing in tech rehearsal. And we're kind of coming up against it. And so we all, the creative team, met in Jerry Mitchell's hotel room to kind of figure out what this scene was going to be. And Jerry was like, well, what do you think it should be, guys? And I was like, well, it should be like, I say to him, blah, 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 blah. And then he goes, yeah. And then I say, da, 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 da. And then we're like going back and forth. And they're like, can you say that again? And they, Heather literally just wrote down what we said, added a few extra funnies, and that's the scene. Was an improv. And there was a bunch of that. Ton of stuff like that. I mean, stuff Leslie Kritzer came up with, a ton of stuff that Christian Borle came up with. I mean, half the shit he said 
um, <laughs> you know, he put his own spin on or rewrote or whatever. And when you're an originator of a role, you're, you, you should come in with your own ideas. You, you have your own ideas for whether it's blocking or um, jokes or the way to play a joke or bits, all of that. So there's a ton of bits that we all, that were the original cast, came up with and found together. And also that part that was like love where he puts his hand on the door. Yeah. I never uh-huh. mentioned love. That was not there. At first I sang the Legally Ballad completely by myself. Then they added him. I'm not sure he was even singing anything. Then they added him singing, but it wasn't, didn't feel right. And they added that love right before we opened in San Francisco, right around that time that we did. And when they did that, I was like, <laughs> I felt that in my heart. I welled up with tears when I heard it. It was like, what? Now oh they're pulling gosh. our heartstrings. Wow. Lawrence O'Keefe, like his music is so amazing too. I, I mean, all of his shows and I listen to Legally Blonde all the time. It's like, especially when I'm down, it gets me pumped and like it, it is positive. <laughs> <laughs> since Legally Blonde, since fame, you are now like this creator boss woman. When did you transition from being a performer to writing music, comedy, producing, directing, all the things that you do now? It was a slower, a, a kind of a slow process that really sort of began to manifest in the last few years. I always had ideas. I always had ideas for things on a creative level. I think that's kind of what I do in a rehearsal room with a character is I come in with a bunch of ideas. Well, when you when I don't have a character to put my ideas into, I start coming up with other wild ideas <laughs> like sketch comedy shows or ideas for a musical or a women's history sketch comedy show. And then I am naive enough to try to put that shit together and go sell it. And sometimes I get lucky. And there's been a lot of ideas that haven't worked or didn't see the light of day, did get pitched and got sold and didn't see the light of day. But as a songwriter, I've been writing music since since I was a teenager. I had a little bit of a dual life when I was doing musicals in New York. I would, on my day off, go and do country music shows. When I was doing Hairspray, like, I would literally have a two-show day on a Saturday and then go downtown and play a gig. And because I heard Bette Midler had done that, you know, Ryzen, you know, with the roof. So I was like, well, I can do that. And then I moved to Nashville. I lived lived in Nashville for five years right after Legally Blonde. I had a record deal with Universal Music Group and then with Big Machine, they had Taylor Swift and a number of awesome uh, country artists. When I was there, I had to do music videos. And so I would I would write a song and then I, I could see what the music video was. So I began to conceptualize all my own music videos and I would collaborate with directors. And then eventually my label allowed me to direct my own music videos. I did a couple of them with my friend Becky Fluke, who's also a director of photography. We did four while I was simultaneously doing the sketch show called Cooter County. And there was something about that time living in Nashville that, that really cultivated my creativity and my process as a creator. And I would just like try anything, right? <laughs> you know, whether it was like a character that I was putting together and I would just throw it out there. And I sometimes I got lucky and some of them went viral before viral was even a thing. This, this label really empowered me to come up with my own content and to direct my own music videos. I think I left that experience in Nashville feeling like I had a new set of skills. And when I went to LA, 
I began to direct other people's music videos and understand how to make something. So now I was taking these ideas I had for television shows, but also having the awareness of what it takes to produce and direct them. Uh, so it's, it's kind of been a slow, uh, just a process of learning, right? You learn a little step on the way. It's like you're on the yellow brick road and you're like, I learned these things from this stop and I'll take this on my journey. And I learned these things from this stop you know, so finally have some skills when I get to the Emerald City. That's so cool. Like, I literally want to be you. Like, I, I love people who do it all. I feel like there's, like, a lot of those female creators right now. Like, I mean, you and, like, Issa Rae and Amy Schumer, who does everything. You know, you can create your own stuff. And I think it's so cool that you also, you wrote a commercial, right, for Bare Minerals? Oh, Barefoot Wine. Or Bare, why did I say Bare Minerals? I'm, like, thinking about That's my makeup. That's a Barefoot good one. Wine. <laughs> Barefoot Wine, which is so cool. Barefoot Wines. I was reached out to to see if I could write a pop song, slight comedy for Barefoot Wines that was going to have all of these Elizabeth Banks and Cecily Strong and all of these incredible women, you know, funny women. I wrote this first song. It's, it was about like a can of wine and it's called Crush in It. And it was like a fake girl group. And then they came back to me to ask to do the Christmas song. But I ended up directing that video as well, co-directing it. It was, it's kind of fun. You know, I think it was different. It was like, you're doing a commercial, but you're not. Because you're actually doing a music video and you're actually writing a full song that like real deal comedians on SNL are going to do. I feel like people would never like realize that you did that either, which is like amazing that that's just like a part of the things that you've done. Um, So what is your dream? Do you have a dream role that you haven't played already? (laughs) I do. It's so funny. I think that the, you know, it's, I think I didn't realize that when I played Charity and Sweet Charity, that that actually was a dream role. I didn't realize it till I was in it and going, wow, yeah. this, this this is, you know, checking all the boxes for me. That was awesome. I'd love to do that again. And I, and I kind of feel like there's going to be another original musical that I have no idea to even be prepared for because I really do like originating characters. I like the empty canvas. You have any, any but I want I want to be Mama Rose because I was oh, raised yeah. raised by Mama Rose. I would love to see like a Southern twist on Mama Rose, <laughs> like full pageant, <laughs> like with some Tammy Faye Baker like flavor. <laughs> That's my mom. She wore the blue eyeshadow. <laughs> she wore all the colors. We have a listener question: Is there another movie based musical that you would want to be in? Like that's not existed yet. Yes, I don't want to talk about it because I'm working. Working on it. Any oh. any hints? Any hints? I always really wanted to do the life story of Doris Day. Oh wow, I so see that. I love. I've always loved her and her work, but she was a complicated person, and I thought it would be amazing to do a show about her life. Totally, I could so see that too. You'd be amazing in that role. I'm gonna move on to a little like game fun section okay. that we have a Mad Lib. Okay. <laughs> it is. We don't want to tell you what we. Yeah, we don't want to tell you what it is. We're not gonna spoil anything. We're just gonna start by asking for a couple of words. Could I please have a plural noun? Ah, uh, boobs. Yes, starting really strong. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please have another plural noun? Vaginas. Vaginas. All right. You have to do dirty Mad Libs, right? Oh, yes. Of course. Okay. Whenever people are like, they're like airplanes, I'm like, absolutely not. Give me... (laughs) Um, Okay. Three, I need a verb. Munching. Munch. Munching. Munch. Munch. The INGs... Oh, right, right. Oh, God. (laughs) Oh, wow. I got to go back to elementary school. 
I, I will <laughs> conjugate. I will, don't worry. An adjective ending in E-R. I don't know if those are technically adjectives, like a word ending in E-R. Yeah, I don't know an adjective. Like stronger. Oh, like that. Yeah, um, I don't know what they're called. <laughs> prouder. Prouder. Can I have another one of those? Grosser. Great. And then a verb? Run. Run. And then I need four of those like words that end in ER. Harder, faster, stronger, shittier. Shittier. Okay. So this is a Mad Lib to um, so much better. (laughs) (laughs) We would love if you could please perform this Mad Lib. We're going to drop it in the- You can read it. You don't need to sing it if you don't want to. (laughs) You don't don't need to sing it, but we would love love a reading, a 21-hour reading, so to speak. Oh, oh. (laughs) (laughs) i'll even dress in boobs and vaginas (laughs) see i have not begun to munch and you'll go oh Oh. much prouder and oh much grosser (laughs) and soon all y'all gonna run much harder Cause I am so much faster. <laughs> I am so much stronger. I am so much shittier. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> yes. I feel like I started the song an octave too high. <laughs> but it's okay. Seth Rudesky is not here. There are no ellipticals. <laughs> You're okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming you've seen well you were in the search for the next Elwoods woods a little bit. Yeah, I, I did a a, a run in. I run it, <laughs> ran in and did something and then left a couple times. We love to do my show. <laughs> was that like weird? Was that awkward to I don't know the that that was happening too? Well it's like, certainly if- not normal. <laughs> Right? It doesn't normally happen like that. So I guess it is kind of weird. I think the thing is, is that part was, is such a, an undertaking, right? For any person, any person is dedicated to, to doing the part justice. So I didn't have the time to worry about or really be that much involved in the the reality show, except for the little bit that I was, because there was just no way for me to actually do the show if I was. Right. But I thought actually it's funny because as a from a producer standpoint, it was a brilliant idea. Oh yeah. The I show mean, it, had done really well on MTV, and it was like a no-brainer. Once I gave my uh, notice, I was going to leave after that next contract. They had to figure out who who they were going to have, and since the show had done so well, it made sense to do a reality show. Two more very quick games. We have okay. Mary fuck Mary fuck kill and oh, it's kill fuck Mary. Yes. Oh, that, is that how you play it? Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, kill, fuck, marry. First, we've got, I will say, these are a little more abstract than your typical kill, fuck, marries. Okay. First, first one, we've got Laura Bell bunt cakes, matching lingerie, but it's made of fish, and raisins that fell on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going to kill the matching lingerie made of fish because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's just gross <laughs> um we're going to 
fuck the raisins mm-hmm. and we're going to marry the bunt cake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. That's something you could definitely sell. Laura Bell bunt cakes. I, I would love it. to. See- Paul Kanan, who was one of the judges, he calls me Laura Bell's undies. And <laughs> I think I need a brand. Laura Bell's oh, undies or Bundy's undies. Sure. This next one. Victor Garber telling you that you'll never be a lawyer. <laughs> Courtney, take your break. And a threesome with Orfe and Andy Carl. Okay, wait. <laughs> this is my kill, fuck, Mary. Yeah, yeah, think of them as concepts, each of them. They're all kind of delicious. <laughs> it's kind of hard to choose which one I'm going to kill. I guess I'm going to kill Victor Garber. Telling me I can't be a lawyer. But I do love him. He played my manager or agent in a movie I did when I was 10 called Life with Mikey. And then I guess fuck would be Andy and Orfe. And then what's the other one? Oh, Courtney. I'm going to marry Courtney. Take a break. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Okay. Next. I'll be laughing forever. (laughs) Absolutely. We've got 12 BuzzFeed articles about your personal life. The green alphabet paint as salad dressing. And Broadway completely relocating to Cleveland, Ohio. That sounds like a would you rather. (laughs) Now that's like, I want to kill all of those. (laughs) You can do that. We're going to kill 12 BuzzFeeds about my life. I'm kind of a private person. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I like my anonymity. What were my other options? Alphabet paint as salad dressing. That sounds awful. We're going to fuck that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And we're going to marry Broadway moving to Cleveland, Ohio. Great. Amazing. <laughs> this last one. Gillane Maxwell, the Rusical. Laganja Astrana, Laganja Astranja monetizing off of your catchphrases. And South Florida Dinner Theater. Wait, go back. What was the first one? <laughs> Gillane Mas- Maxwell, the Rusical. As in a, a, a RuPaul musical about Gillane Maxwell. Laganja Astranja from RuPaul's Drag Race. Monetizing off of your catchphrases. And... South Florida Dinner Theater. Ooh, you guys are giving me awful options. <laughs> I guess I will kill Laganja. Well, she she kind of did take your catchphrase because you kind of. I feel like you were the one who came up with oh. <laughs> I did have a character that said oh. Yes. Yeah, and, and then it just sort of beca- everybody started saying it, um, but it was sort of in the vernacular of our theater community for years and I just happened to say it for the character that I did then it became wildly popular beyond our Broadway community but uh and now Cardi B thinks it's hers so right and RuPaul has I think credited you on the show with it too yeah he did um <laughs> I had fun working with him we did a sh- his show AJ and the Queen Oh he my gosh. So, fun. so oh. I love him. Uh, so we'll marry whatever he's doing. And maybe, maybe we, maybe we'll kill the, the dinner theater and then we'll just fuck Laganja. Cause I don't have nothing against Laganja. Laganja's <laughs> great. <laughs> yes. Okay. Perfect. Okay. Last, last, last would game. you rather last game? Would you rather? And we have Ted Mosby from How I Met Your Mother or Mr. Mosby from Sweet Life of Zack and Cody. I never watched that, guys. I'm too old for that show. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I don't know who the fuck that is. <laughs> so Secret Life of Zack and Cody. I, do you know how old I am? <laughs> how old do you think I am? But I really am flattered. I'm very flattered. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm sure he's a DILF. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do 
we'll fuck him. We never met him. It'll just be like a blind one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you didn't give me a third oh, option. This is would you oh, rather? Would you rather? Picking one. Oh, no. The other Ted, then. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. So now we have, would you rather move to Canada alone or have everyone you know move to Canada without you? Well, this is hard when you're a mother to answer this question. Mm. Right. Do I get to bring my family? Yes. Yes. Definitely. I'd rather move to Canada and everybody else stay. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Healthcare. Hey, healthcare. Exactly. Healthcare. Exactly. Although I'm feeling like the turning of the tide and I'm going to might be happy to be here. But if you had yeah. said this to me in January of 2017, I would have said I'm getting my ass out. Right. Um, and if this election had gone differently, I might have actually seriously considered it. And I've been in Canada by myself a lot shooting things and I love it there. And I love to be by myself there. (laughs) (laughs) We want to leave you with a quote. It's not relevant, but we're just going to say it anyway. Okay. I'm a tough chick. I'm a girl that grew up in public school or fae. That's it. (laughs) Follow us on Twitter at wishyouwereweird1. That is the letter U, not the word U. And if you come across that bitch-ass Twitter that has Wish You Were Weird, report them. This episode of Wish You Were Weird was sponsored by Nobody. Please sponsor us. Thanks.